Thank you so much. Thank you guys for all being here this morning. I'm so happy that you chose to take the time and to come hang out with us this weekend. Um, I want to say hey to anybody watching online, anybody watching this after it was recorded. So happy that you would decide to click on it, listen in. I'm really excited to be able to share this message with you today. Um, I'm really um, happy that I got this opportunity, and I think this message is really special, and I hope it's going to encourage you today. So I wanted to start off because I only get this opportunity about once a year to talk to you guys. So I know a lot of you don't really know me. I don't really know you. So I wanted to just share something about myself to start off with. And it's really one of my guilty pleasures. So one of my guilty pleasures is watching reality TV. (laughs) Anybody else willing to admit that? You know, sometimes... I like to watch reality TV. And so I wanted to share with you my top three reality TV shows. Because I feel like when I say that, I got to clarify because I don't want you guys to think I'm like watching Jerry Springer all the time or like (laughs) The Real Housewives of OC. Like that's not the kind of reality TV I'm into. So I want to clarify. I want to give you my top three favorite reality TV shows. Do you want to hear them? All right, feel free to respond because, like, if you like the same show as me, we can talk about it after service. So just let me know. So first off, I love watching the Food Network because I love cooking. It's one of my hobbies. Um, So I like watching the shows on the Food Network because you pick up tips and all that. But one of the shows that I really like on the Food Network is Cutthroat Kitchen. You guys like that one? See, Cameron even likes that, so we watch that one together, and it's entertaining because Alton Brown is just crazy. So we like to watch that, and here's a fun fact for you. If you ever wonder what me and Cameron do after service on Saturday nights, we go home, we watch Cutthroat Kitchen, and we eat a Jack's Pizza. That's what we do every single Saturday night. It never changes, except last night I made him cook the pizza for me because I did the hard work, and I preached, so he cooked for me last night. So another one I really like is The Voice. Yeah, Yeah, it's one of those ones where like I watch it every season and I always say like, I'm not going to watch it next season, like I think I'm done. And then I always do. And so it just sucks you in. So I end up watching every season of The Voice. But my top reality show that I love, my all-time favorite one, is Survivor. We do have some Survivor fans here. Awesome. i got to preach a message about that next year then. (laughs) It is still on TV, if you're wondering. I know a lot of people are like, that's still on? Yes. 15 years later, it's still going strong. And I actually didn't even get into it until like a couple years ago. It was always Cameron's show to watch when I was sitting on the couch. And I just like started watching it with him, and I became like obsessed with it. So we started watching all the old Dude, we gotta get home. I gotta find out who won Survivor 10 years ago. That is really important. I'm just like, I need to know. I really, that's my favorite. So now you guys know after if Silas ever goes to sleep. Those shows. But there's something that I've noticed from my reality TV watching, and maybe you noticed it too. So. One time I was watching Food Network and, you know, up me and present to the judges and they're like, okay, oh, it's really hard on me as a kid and, you know, he never really told me he was proud of me and so this is my spaghetti 
And you're like, okay, like, wow, that got really serious really fast. Or especially on The Voice, it's this like lighthearted, fun show where you sing and all these people have these like deep stories about their childhood where they'll just ask them, you know, like, hey, why'd you choose this song? And they're like, well, I was abandoned by my dad at an early age and it really affected me. And you're just like, okay, like we're going down that way now. Or how about this one? This is one I see all the time in these shows when they'll ask somebody, why did you choose to come on this show? You know, why do you want to compete? And they'll say, I just want my parents to be proud of me or I just want to make my dad proud of me. So I've come to this conclusion from all my reality TV watching that a lot of these people have daddy issues. But the thing about reality TV is that it's real for the most part. But these stories, these emotions, they're not scripted. They're not integral to what the show is. It's just what comes out when people start talking about their lives, what made them who they are today. These are the sort of emotions and things that come out when they start talking about it. So what about you? Do you have daddy issues? I want to start by kind of defining what this phrase means and all getting on the same page about it. Because I think in our culture, when you hear the phrase daddy issues, I think it's most commonly associated with a woman. I think that's who it's most commonly attached to. Maybe you think of a woman who has trust issues or maybe a promiscuous woman. I think that's who our culture would say this phrase kind of describes. So I want to read you the definition from Urban Dictionary, which I don't recommend that as a reliable source of information, (laughs) but it does do a really good job summing up what I think our culture would say this means. And it says, what a girl has when she's rejected by her father often results in her having trouble finding a significant other and trusting people. And so I think that's pretty accurate of what we would say we think that means when people use the phrase. So that's kind of what it means in our culture. But how does it make you feel? I know for me, I don't particularly like it. Like, I don't think I would ever use it in regular life. Kind of makes me uncomfortable. You know, you wouldn't, like, go to somebody and say, hey, you have daddy issues, and they'd be like, thank you. (laughs) Like, it's just not one of those things. It's not really a nice phrase. But the term daddy issues actually comes from the idea in psychology called the father complex. So you might remember this from your high school or college psychology courses, but it's what Sigmund Freud started studying, and he actually only studied the relationships between males and their fathers, and he called it the father complex, and he studied the effects that it had on them later in life. Now, it wasn't until his peer, Carl Jung, came along, and he started studying the relationship between females and their fathers and the effects that it had on them later in life. So contrary to what our culture may lean towards, this isn't just a thing that females have. It's not just that females struggle with daddy issues. Males do as well. Their research was really clear that it affects males and females the same way. So for today's purposes... When I say daddy issues, I'm really just talking about the relationship that we had with our dads and the effects it had on us, good or bad. And I'm not specifically talking to women, and I'm not specifically talking to men. I'm not specifically talking to you who are fathers. I'm talking to all of you just as sons and daughters, because all of us had a father. Now, you can read the research study after research study 
that study the father-child relationship and tell you the effects that it have on them later in life. You can read research that says kids who spend more time with their fathers have higher IQs and can read better in elementary school. Kids who live with their fathers are less likely to be depressed or anxious, less likely to get pregnant, less likely to get an STD, less likely to drink drug, drink alcohol and use drugs. Drink drugs, too. <laughs> so if you get into the research, it's really clear that kids who grow up without dads or who grow up with absent fathers, that they're more at risk in a bunch of areas. That's just true. That's just what the research points to time and time again. But today, I'm not going to focus on any of those areas. Today, I specifically want to talk about how our daddy issues affect our relationship with God. And I know this might seem like kind of a heavy topic, intense or serious, but really, I just want you to feel encouraged. And I hope that by the end of this message, that you feel loved by God in a new way. So I want to start off by sharing two things that all of us have in common. And the first thing that we all have in common is that we all had an imperfect earthly father. All of us did. So I don't know what the word father or dad means to you. I know that in a crowd this size, I'm sure it means many different things to many of you. I'm sure there is some of you who had really awesome fathers. And, you know, we just celebrated Father's Day and we got to see all the posts of everybody on social media about how great their dads were and just celebrating them, um, just how supportive and awesome and loving they were. And that's awesome. I'm sure a few of you fall into that category. Now, I know there's also some of you who have already lost your fathers, who they've already passed away, whether it was early on in your life, later on in your life, they're no longer here on earth with us. I know there's some of you who were abandoned by your father at an early age, so maybe you never really knew your earthly father. Maybe some of you knew your father, but your relationship was always kind of strained or even non-existent. Some of you may have even been sinned against by your father through physical abuse or sexual abuse. And then I know some of you, maybe it's not that your father ever sinned against you. It's just that he never really told you he loved you or he never really told you he was proud of you. But whatever your experience was, the one thing we all have in common is that our earthly fathers were all imperfect. They all had shortcomings. So all of us really have daddy issues to some degree. So we just finished up this What's in a Name series, and Deb talked about the first week, the names that God calls himself. And she talked about how he calls himself our peace and our provider and our banner. And there's another name that God gives himself in the Bible, and that name is Father. So in Psalm 103, 13 through 14, it says, The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. It also says in Psalm 68, 5, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. So God chose the word father to describe himself. In the Old Testament, he's referenced as a father, and that's the picture he chooses to give us of him. Now, when Jesus came in the New Testament, Jesus changed our perception because he referenced God as his father. In, in the Gospels, he addresses God as father over 150 times. And for the Jews that he was talking to at the time, this was a whole new way of addressing God. They weren't used to this informal and intimate language of calling God Father. They were used to more of, 
you know, God being at a distance, God was holy, you had to be respectful, not this, this kind of more informal language of calling God our Father. I know many of you are familiar with the passage known as the Lord's Prayer, and that's in Luke 11, and that's when Jesus' disciple, one of his disciples comes up to him, and he says, teach us how to pray. And the first thing Jesus does when he models how to pray is he starts by using one word, and that's Father. And it seems so small, but it's so important because Jesus starts his prayer by addressing God as Father. And so what Jesus was saying was, when you talk to God, when you go to pray, it's just like talking to your dad. Now, as I mentioned before, not all of us have that experience of a loving dad. But you may think, well, back when Jesus was talking, you know, there was less broken homes and less divorce, so people may have understood better when he said, you know, talking to God's just like talking to your dad. But actually, the culture Jesus was talking in was extremely patriarchal. So what that means is the men owned everything. Women and children were seen more as property. And men actually had the legal right to beat their women and children. And so these people may have even had worse daddy issues. It may have even been more skewed in their brain when they heard gods like your father. That might have even been more confusing to them. So when Jesus says praying is just like talking to your dad, a lot of us might kind of struggle with that. Because whether we intend to or not, we project our earthly hurts from our earthly dads onto God. So if we had a harsh or disinterested dad or a distant dad, we tend to project that onto God and think that he's the same way and that he's going to relate to us in that way. Now, of course, this isn't fair to God. So why would God choose to use this picture of a father to represent himself to us? If this metaphor could be rendered useless by human sin, why would God risk it? Well, I love the way Pastor G. Veith says it. He says, the essence of fatherhood is found in God, not in human beings. Earthly fathers have certain remote similarities to him. And so, like I said, the first thing that we all have in common is we all had an imperfect earthly father. But the second thing we all have in common is that we all have a perfect heavenly father. So God is the original Father, just like it said in that quote. Our fathers here on earth are made in his image, and they have similarities to him, but they all fall short to illustrating his character perfectly. Every good quality you can think of, maybe in your dad, hardworking, loving, compassionate, tender, God is, because the Bible says that God is the perfect Father. He's the essence of all fatherhood. So if you can think of the best dad that you can think of, maybe it's your dad or maybe it was a dad you knew growing up, maybe it's Jack Pearson from This Is Us, (laughs) whatever dad, God is even better and more perfect than that. And God uses this metaphor of a father and us as his children, and he uses it to represent his love for us. And we can kind of understand that because if you have a child, you know that the love that you have for your child is indescribable. It's just this love that you've never experienced before, that I've just got to experience in this last year and a half. It's like different from any other love. So when God says, I love you like that, I'm your father, you're my child, we can kind of understand, okay, like that's a lot. That's the kind of love God has for me. But that's not the only thing that makes 
this metaphor perfect. It's not just God's love for us. It's that he lovingly corrects us when we choose things that aren't good for us, just like a good father would do. He has our best interests in mind. There's no self-interest in God when he looks at us, just like a good father should have our best interests in mind. He provides for us, not just our physical needs, but our spiritual, emotional needs, just like a good father should. He gives us wisdom. He welcomes us back no matter how long we've been gone, just like a good father would do. So if you're a Christian, the Bible says that when you accept salvation, it's like you've been adopted into this family of God. So it's like you're adopted, God becomes your father, all these people around you become your brothers and sisters, whether you like it or not. And the Bible even says that we can call him Abba, Father. And what that would mean in our language today is like dad or daddy. And that's so comforting to us who didn't have the best relationships with our dad because we come into this family of God, we get adopted, and we get this dad that we never had before. So I want to talk about our perfect Heavenly Father today, and I want to tell you three things specifically about him. And the first is this, he made you on purpose. Do we have any oops babies out there? You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) Now, I was the third child in my family, so my mom never flat out told me I was an accident, but I have my suspicions. And I know that's something sometimes people joke around about that, you know, they had a baby that was an accident or, you know, it was unplanned. And that may very well have been the truth. That may be your story. But you may have been a surprise to your parents, but you were never a surprise to God. He made you on purpose and for a purpose. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Ephesians 2.10, says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So first of all, he created you. It's not like your parents decided to have you, you showed up, and he's like, okay, I'm going to make a plan for that baby's life. He knew you before that. He created you. He thought you up who you were, designed you, and created you with a plan in mind for your life. Before you were born, God had good things planned for you. You know, another place in the Bible, it says he knit you together in your mother's womb. And not just your physical body, which is a miracle in itself, the miracle that God makes, you know, another human body inside of our bodies is an amazing miracle. But he knitted together your personality, the things that you love, the things that you hate, the things that make you you. He designed all of that and made you the way you are for a reason. He made your laugh. Have you ever thought about that, how all of us have different laughs? Why? God didn't have to do that, but it just shows his amazing creativity and just his care in designing each and every one of us. Psalm 139.16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now, isn't it amazing to think that God thought of you, that he dreamed you up, that he thought the world needed you? That even though we're, you know, when we look at it, one in eight billion, you know, all just a speck of dust in the great scheme of things, but not to God. He carefully created each and every one of us for a purpose. It says that 
He planned out your whole life before you were even born, before a single moment had even passed. There's no such thing as an unplanned pregnancy to God. Each one of us were carefully created by a loving Father. And I don't know if there's somebody here today where you were told you were an accident or you were told that you weren't part of the plan, but I want to let you know that you were always part of God's plan, that he created you on purpose and for a purpose. The thing I want to tell you about our Father is that he pursues you. And the word pursue basically just means to follow. So do you feel like God pursues you? Do you feel like God follows you? Or do you feel like God is more just off in the distance, kind of not really interested in your life, doesn't really know who you are? And I think this can be different from day to day, from season to season in our lives. We can feel differently about God pursuing us. But this area in particular is something that I struggle with in projecting my hurts from my earthly dad onto God. My parents split up when I was younger, so my dad wasn't around a ton growing up, and he also struggled with addiction to alcohol, and so that negatively impacted all of his relationships. But overall, I would just say, like, I never felt like my dad pursued me. And even as I've gotten older, the only time we've talked in the past 10 years have been because I've pursued him. You know, he doesn't call me on my birthday, he didn't come to my wedding, He didn't come to see my son when he was born. He's just always been distant. So I can have a tendency to put that onto God. And I can feel like God is distant and God's disinterested with me and God doesn't want to be close to me because of my experience with my earthly dad. But what I read about God in the Bible tells me differently. In Psalm 139, 17 through 18, it says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. Now it says that God's thoughts about me are so many that they outnumber the grains of sand. You know, that doesn't sound like a God who is disinterested in me or who doesn't know me. That sounds like a God who is pretty obsessed with me. If you think about all those thoughts, all the grains of sand... And when Jesus was teaching, he used a parable to illustrate this um, love, this pursuing love that God has for us. And he uses the illustration of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And he says, if one wanders off, you know, you would think, well, you just cut your losses and stick with the 99. You know, that's, that's a pretty small percentage. But he says, no, God's love is going to chase after that one that leaves. He's going to risk everything, risk those 99 sheep to go get the one, to follow that one, to pursue the one. And that's how his love is for us, that he's willing to pursue and to follow us no matter how great the risk. I saw another really great picture of this. Um, I worked at a preschool for a while, and I got to stand at the door and welcome parents and kids as they came in, and this preschool was at the top of a hill, and there was many cement stairs to get up to the door, so you can imagine how much help it took from parents to get three- and four-year-olds up safely every single day. And this one day in particular, I was watching as this dad helped his daughter up the stairs, and he held her hand, and he walked with her up the stairs and just helped her. And he didn't even want her to stub her toe. He didn't even want her to stumble. He just helped her. Just He was so tender and so compassionate with her to make sure that she got up those stairs just perfectly and safely. 
And as I watched this, I just felt like God said to me, that's how I love you. That's a picture of my love for you. That dad who loves his daughter so much, he doesn't even want her to scrape her knee or stumble a little bit. That's how God is with us. Now, I know some of you probably had a similar story to mine. Maybe your dad was distant or selfish. You may have felt like you never mattered. But I want to let you know today that God is obsessed with you. That his thoughts about you cannot even be numbered. He is willing to go to great lengths to pursue you. And he follows you closely because of his love and his concern for you. Now the third and final thing I want to tell you about our perfect father is that he's proud of you. And as I mentioned before, I think a lot of us struggle with wanting our parents to be proud of us or wanting to express that they're proud of us. But what about God? Do you feel like God is proud of you? I think a lot of us walk around feeling like we're disappointments to God. And maybe, you know, there's this sin you just can't get under control and you just feel like you struggle and you let God down and you disappoint him every single time. Or maybe, you know, you struggle to get consistent with praying and reading your Bible and making it to church and you just feel like you're just letting God down and you're just a disappointment to him. But I want to read you a story in Luke 3, 21 through 22. And this is where Jesus is being baptized by John. And it says, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So as Jesus was being baptized, God speaks in a voice from heaven, and he says, I am well pleased with you. Another translation says, You bring me great joy. And you might think, well, duh, like, of course God's going to be proud of Jesus. But this is what's so cool. Because the Bible says that in order to be saved, we have to take on Jesus' righteousness. Because our righteousness is not good enough. We've all sinned, we've all messed up. So we have to accept what Jesus did for us, and we have to take on his righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, it says that when we come into the family of God, we take on Jesus' righteousness. So it's like when Jesus looks at us, he sees us through this filter email from me. I want you to read it, but picture that I'm smiling at you. Read the words that I say, but picture my face smiling. See, that changes everything, doesn't it? And I wonder how many of us would live differently if we pictured that God was smiling at us. You know, if the next time you picked up your Bible, instead of thinking that God's like, it's about time, (laughs) that he was smiling. If the next time you prayed, you pictured that not God wasn't this distant God that you have to shout to get his attention, but that he was leaning in towards you, that he was smiling, just like a dad would be. If you picked up a phone to call a dad, if you had a good dad, of course, he's going to be happy to hear from you. He's going to be so happy to hear your voice. Psalm 35 says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. And I think a lot of us live with those two switched around. We live like his favor lasts a moment, but his anger lasts a lifetime. 
You know, we think that if we have a good week and we read our Bibles and we're pretty good talking to God and we make it to church that, you know, we've got God's favor, that we're having a good week, he's smiling down at us, but then we mess up again, then we stop reading, then we stop going to church, and then God's angry at us again. But God's love for us is not based on our performance. It's based on a person, that's Jesus, and what he did for us. So if we've accepted Jesus, we're approved by God. As many of you know, Cameron and I have a young son named Silas, and at the end of last year, he started walking around 11 months, and Cameron was really excited about this. So every night, he would sit with him in the living room, and he would sit down and sit in between his legs and get him to walk towards him. And he'd take a few steps and then fall, and take a few steps and then fall, and What do you think Cameron's response to him as a father was? Do you think he said, You're such a disappointment. Why can't you learn to walk? (laughs) No, of course not. He celebrated every step Silas took. And when he fell, he was there right there to catch him. He was proud of his progress. No matter how small it was, if it was just one step, he was proud of his progress. And that's how God is with us. I think this is an especially hard thing to get if you had a dad who was really critical of you, who you felt like you had to perform to earn his love, or you felt like you had to reach perfection to earn his love, if it seemed like you were never good enough. But that's not how our perfect father is. There's so much more love and grace in our perfect father than your earthly father. There's another story that I think illustrates this really well. There was a pastor, and his son decided that he wanted to fast. And he wasn't going to eat any food. He was just going to pray and focus on this thing that he wanted God to move on. And so he decided he wasn't going to eat. So when um, his dad, the pastor, came home for lunch, you know, he asked him, how's it going on his first day of fasting? How's the fasting going? And his son was really down, and he said... I only made it two hours, and I already ate. And his dad was like, you made it two hours. You know how many people go through their life, and they don't even try to fast? They don't even give it a second thought? But you wanted to fast. You tried, and you made it two hours. That's amazing. You see, God notices our efforts. He knows our heart. And he celebrates our progress, no matter how small it may seem. So if you are in Christ, you are approved by God. He loves you and he's proud of you. So stop trying to work to gain something you already have. Now, God is proud of you. And he's not, I'm not saying he's proud of every choice, every decision you've made, because of course, we've all made bad decisions. You parents can understand this. Your kids have made some stupid decisions. But that doesn't mean you're not proud of them. You might not be proud of every decision, but you're still proud of them. And that's what God is. He's proud of you. The person you are, the person he created you to be, he's proud of you. Now, I know some of you, your dad may have labeled you a disappointment, but God says when he looks at you, he's proud of you. He says that you bring him great joy just by being who he created you to be. So I hope that I've convinced you that God made you on purpose, that he pursues you, and that he's proud of you. 
And it's so important for us to understand this because when we understand who God is, we understand who we are better. Because when we understand the creator, we understand his creation. I want to just close by giving you a few steps of application. And Lucas, you can come up here whenever you're ready. So first, I think that some of you need to accept the fact that you had an imperfect earthly father. And you need to forgive him. And I know that may sound really hard. And I know that I don't understand everybody's situation. There may be situations that are really deep and really painful. But Jesus gave us this great example of forgiving the people who hurt us the most. Jesus was literally hanging on the cross dying, and he forgave the people who put him there. He forgave you and me. And we have to do the same. We have to extend that forgiveness because we need forgiveness ourselves. And so even if your dad has passed, even if you don't speak anymore, you need to forgive him in your heart. And I think one really important thing is to decide that he doesn't owe you anything anymore. Because I think a lot of people walk through life wanting an explanation or wanting an apology from their dads. And they hang on to this forever and it eats them away. But you need to just release it and you just need to say, if I never get an explanation, if I never get an apology, I'm okay. And I forgive him and I release him and I'm going to walk forward in my calling for God that he has for my life. Those of us who've had painful experience with our fathers, we get this unique opportunity because we get to love them and show them grace even though they very well may not deserve it. Just like Jesus shows us love and grace even though we don't deserve it. So first, we need to forgive our imperfect earthly fathers. Second, we need to praise our perfect heavenly father. If your perception has been skewed by your daddy issues, if you've been projecting those hurts from your earthly dad on God, you need to refocus and you need to remind yourself that that's not how God is, that God's a good father, that he has your best interest in mind, that he loves you, he wants the best for you. He has a plan for your life, he's proud of you. I want you to imagine God is smiling at you. Throughout this next week, when you read your Bible, when you're in your car, when you're praying, whatever you're doing, I want you to imagine that God's smiling at you, that he's pleased when he looks at you, that you bring him great joy. I'm actually going to give you an opportunity for application right now. And we're going to sing a song together. And this song means a lot to me. Um, You might know this song. And if you do, I encourage you, sing along, because God deserves our praise for what a good father he is. If you don't know the song, listen to the words. I pray that it ministers to you. Just let them sink in. But we're going to sing together and praise God for what a good father is because he deserves it. So let's all stand together and sing this song together.